morning. If you open your Bibles, Hebrew 10, we'll start with verse 1 and read through 14. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have, but a body have you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does take away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily in his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Thank you, Ryan, and thank you, PBC staff, for the good singing. It's so good to hear you young men young women sing so well. Had you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table in just a little bit here. And so I wanted to have a sermon that would focus on the sacrifice that Christ offered us. Some of you might be wondering why we're not in Ephesians 5, and we taught through that in adult Sunday school, and we make explanation of that there. If you'd like to hear that sermon, you can go to our website, and I'm sure it will be, will be available to you later in the day. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to understand this passage from the, as much as we can in the little time that we have. We pray that we would marvel at the once-for-all offering for sin that Jesus made for us and then sat down to rest as you were utterly satisfied with the work that he did on our behalf. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Well, children, since you are up here today, I have three little stories I would like you to consider with me. You guys okay with that? You guys want to think about these three little stories? I want you to go with me, first of all, to Africa, where there are rhinos in the land, a rhinoceros, these rhinos, and they run, and they wreak havoc, and they, they tear up all the fields that the insects live in, the ants the spiders, the, the uh, termites, they get very upset that the rhinos come through and destroy everything. So I want you to imagine with me that the 
the little bugs have a meeting. And they say, we have to stop the rhinos. They keep coming through and destroying everything. And so one of the bugs, a daddy long leg. Do you guys know what daddy long legs are? A daddy long leg spider. He volunteers. He says, I will stop the rhino. And they say, oh, good. I'm so glad you'll do that for us. He's so confident in his abilities. Well, one day, the rhino comes charging through the field, and the daddy long legs marches out, and he says, rhino, I want you to squish. <laughs> Children, does a daddy long leg spider have any hope of stopping a rhino? Even with his long legs? No. Okay, imagine this. Imagine you're with me in Wyoming. And you don't, have you guys ever driven through Wyoming and seen those trains that are three and four miles long? And they're stacked up two and three uh, boxcars high? And they're going almost as fast as the cars that are driving next to them? I want you to imagine that you see one of those trains. And it is headed toward a bridge that's fallen down. The train is about to hit this canyon, and there's no bridge, and it's going to fall down. And I say, everybody, no problem. Don't worry. I've got a secret weapon. And you say, oh, good. Pastor Greg's got this. He's got a secret weapon. I climb to the top of the bridge where it had fallen off, and I stand, and I, I wait for this four-mile-long train. Imagine all the strength and power rushing toward me. And when it's about 10 feet from me, I pull out my secret weapon. And do you know what it is? It's a feather. And I hold it out to stop the train with a feather. What do you think is going to happen to me, children? About the same fate that the daddy long legs suffered with the rhino, right? I'm going to get crushed. Third one. Imagine it's the 4th of July. It's tomorrow. It's really hot out. And you're tired of it being so hot. So you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go take my brother's uh, tennis ball slingshot. You know the ones that, that or the, the water balloon slingshot? You know the ones with the bungee cords that you can go and shoot the water balloon miles and miles? You know, do you know the ones I'm talking about? Well, if you don't, ask your mommy and daddy, and they will buy you one, okay? Okay? And you say, you say, I'm going to quench the sun. And so you attach a dinner plate to the bungee cord, and you aim it at the sun, and you go, Pring! fully expecting the dinner plate to leave the Earth's atmosphere and fly to the sun and quench its strength on a hot summer day. Children, do you think that will work? No. It's impossible, isn't it? Children, I have given you three very bad illustrations of impossibility. Because this passage tells us that doing any religious work in an effort to please God is even more impossible than the three things I have just told you. Because we are not dealing with a creature trying to quench a creature. 
when you've got a creature trying to quench the wrath of the eternal and almighty creator, there is no good work. There is nothing. There is nothing any human can do by way of service, even God-ordained service, to quench the judgment of God. There's only one thing that can be done, and it's already been done. And I'd like us to study that this morning. I had you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. In this book, in the book of Hebrews, the writer is talking to Jewish Christians. They have been tempted, as much as the world wants them to, to come back from being Christians. They're being tempted to go back to Judaism again. And the ceremonies, and the tabernacle, and the temple, and the priests, and the robes, and all the accoutrements, all of that stuff is tempting because it's, it's sight. They can see it. And all of the beauty and grandeur, all their relatives and friends are saying, look, this, it's, come back to it. And some of those people are doing it. Some of those people are ceasing to be Christians so that they can follow religious ceremonies. And so the writer of Hebrews spends the entire book telling these people, he spends the entire book telling these people, do not go back to them because Jesus is superior to every other religious alternative. You can read about that in the very first chapter. He says, in times past, God spoke to us in various times in sundry ways, but now he has spoken to us through his son. And he's going to go on and show us that Jesus is the ultimate priest, and Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, and Jesus is the ultimate prophet earlier in the book. He's telling us to worship Jesus alone and not to go back. Now, Jesus has just established, or the writer rather, has just established that all of this Old Testament religion, all the things that we read about in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the tabernacle, the priests, later on we read about the temple and Solomon's beautiful marvel. In Jesus' era, the disciples would marvel at the hugeness of the stones. Here, we're told that all of that is temporary. In fact, all of that is just a pattern of a heavenly reality. And Jesus is the substance. That's where the writer is taking us. Now, that brings us up to speed. Okay? Here we are in chapter 10. Just remember this. The writer, whose name we don't know, is encouraging these Christians not to go back to ceremonies. Because Jesus is better. And Jesus has done something better. And for the next 14 verses, he's going to argue rather extensively that Jesus is better, and especially when you compare it to the sacrifices and offerings of the Old Testament. But because it's the Lord's Table Sunday, and because we have a business meeting or an informational meeting to follow, we're going to try to be brief. So we have two very obvious points from these 14 verses. And I want us to just stick to these two verse, to these two points because I think it will prepare us well for the Lord's table. So here's the first point that we're going to make from these first 14 verses of chapter 10. Are you ready for this first point? Here it is. Here's the first point. 
it is impossible for good works to save. It is impossible for good works to save. That is made so abundantly clear in one, two, three, four, five different ways in the passage that we read this morning. First of all, works are never able to perfect. I want you to look at verse 1 with me. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of of these realities, it can never, never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered, year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Let's look at verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The word in in Greek, never, right here, is quite specific. And would you guys like to know what it means, really, in Greek? It means never. (laughs) When Jesus was walking around healing people, the people would say, we've never seen anything like this before. There was a man who was born lame from his birth. He was a paralyzed man. And it says that he had never walked. There were men who were sent to arrest Jesus. And they came back and said, we never heard anybody speak like that. Without precedent. Never once. And right here, we're told that these ceremonies, these good works, are never, ever able to save. The second thing I want us to point out, verse 4, is that it is impossible for ceremonies to cleanse. Look at verse 4. It says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Actually, in Greek, it's stronger than that. The word impossible leads the sentence. It says, it reads more like this. Impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And let me point out, as is our third point, that God takes no pleasure in animal sacrifice. Verse 6, it says, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure in verse 8, again, he says, you have, des- you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. And then the writer points something out that we've been making clear all along. These are offered according to the law. And so what we can see is that religious ceremonies, even if they are instituted by God himself, can never, ever take away sins, it's impossible for them to do so because the author of them built them so that they wouldn't. Think of it this way. Drive with me. This is more for you adults. Drive with me to Nevada. Okay? You cross the state line, and what's the first thing you see when you cross the state line into Nevada? You guys know what you see first. What is it? A casino. Go into the gas station, and there's slot machines, digital slot machines. They don't pull the little thing anymore, I don't think. I think they just press buttons. Did you know that those machines are computerized and optimized 
so that you will spend the maximum amount of money in it. They've done algorithms and research, and they understand that if you never get money, you won't put money in. But if you always get money, they'll lose money. So they have hit the exact number so that you will keep pumping coins and dollars into that machine and that they can extract as much money out of you as possible. You say, why isn't that machine paying me as much as I want it to? Because it was programmed to pay itself. It was designed to pay the people that made it, not to pay you. It will pay you a little bit, just enough to keep you paying. So God, the author, the creator, the designer of these religious sacrifices, designed into them their inability, their impossibility, the never can save you from sins, even ones that God designs. And there's a reason for that, which we'll get to in just a minute. The next thing we can draw from this text about how it's impossible for good works to save, and that's that Old Testament scripture anticipates an end to the ceremonies. Look at your Bibles and look in verse 6. It says, consequently, when Christ came into the world. If you have a Bible like mine, you'll see that that paragraph is sort of what the, the verses that follow, the next three verses that follow, that paragraph is sort of inset, isn't it? How many of you have a Bible like that? Well, what your Bible is showing you is that this is a quotation of the Old Testament, Psalm 40 to be precise. And what the writer is saying is, look, those of you who want Old Testament religion, I want you to know that the Old Testament itself shows that this is coming to an end, both specifically and by implication. The fact that the priests have to do it over and over and over and over and again, the fact that the sacrifices are never over, communicate that these things can't take it away. He's trying to communicate to us that no good work, even God-ordained good works, even God-pleasing good works, no good work can ever, ever save. And then last in this point, Christ has put away the first covenant. We read, it says, you have neither... Uh, Let's look at, uh, it says, uh, verse 9, Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Now, you need to look at that word, he does away with. Okay, That is a very weak translation. Unless you're in a crime family. Now, I want you to imagine the head of an Italian mob family saying, I would like to do away with this problematic underling. What does he need? What does he need? He's going to do away with it. With him. <laughs> That's what this word means. In Luke chapter 22, verse 2, it says that the Pharisees and Sadducees were looking for a way to do away 
with Jesus. Or in Acts 26.10, the Apostle Paul says, he went, with Damas- he went to Damascus with letters to do away with Christians. To kill them. To kill them. And here it says that Jesus killed the first way. He killed it. He did away with it. He obliterated it. And the writer of Hebrews is telling these people that it is gone. Now let's pause very quickly here on this point. It is impossible for good works to save. It's impossible. No good work. No work of kindness. No work of mercy. No work of baptism. No work of church attendance. No work of love. No work of charity. No work of adoption. No noble, good, merciful, kind work can put away your sin. Why? Let's go back to that opening illustration that I told the kids. It's a problem of perspective. How can you, a finite person, meet the righteous demands of an eternal God? There's an eternal chasm of demand that hangs over you. And every work you go in, you throw into the pot, it disappears from sight, and you never, ever hear it hit the bottom. Ever. Whatever good works we do, vanish in the face of eternity. There's occasions in Scripture where God's best people get a hold of this. And in Isaiah chapter 6, Israel's best man, prophet, gets a look at the king. And he says, woe is me. I am obliterated. For my eyes have seen the king. What was his crime? I am a man of unclean lips. What was Isaiah the prophet's best attribute but his lips? His best is a source of condemnation. And for this reason, he says later in the book that all our righteousness, all of it, is about as valuable as a filthy rag. It is impossible for good works to save. Now, would you guys like to hear the wonderful second point of Hebrews chapter 10? Are you ready? The work of Jesus Christ satisfies. In fact, I could even just have up there past tense. The work of Jesus Christ 
satisfied. It's done. It's over. Once for all, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God and remains satisfied in it. Jesus' work does save. Jesus' work does satisfy. And here in Hebrews chapter 10, there's another uh, six ways that the writer does this. Number one, Jesus did his work once for all. That's communicated three different times. Look right here in verse 10. It says that, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the holy, uh, uh, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now look at verse 12. He offered for all time a single sacrifice. Go down to verse 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus did his work once. He said, it is finished, was his cry. It is done. Jesus did it. It's accomplished. It's finished. Jesus did the work that God had for him once for all. He doesn't have to be sacrificed time and time and time again. It was done once. The God the Son met the responsibilities, met the requirements, met the righteousness, met the love and holiness and grace. He met all the demands of God. And even though when you throw one of those good works into the divine pit, and it never touches the bottom, Jesus' goodness and grace and mercy and righteousness, that one sacrifice fills it to the brim. For you, one act. One act. Three hours on the cross. Number two, Jesus. Jesus himself is satisfied with his work. Jesus himself is satisfied with his work. Verse 12. It says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. How many of us have a picture of Jesus kind of like we might picture an overworked house mom with with five or six children. <laughs> the children run around the house like little hurricanes, toys going omnidirectionally everywhere they wander. Children, did you know something? Did you know toys do not grow legs and put themselves back into the toy box when you're done with them? How do they get there? Well, somebody has to pick them up and put them back in. So imagine... Mom constantly walking around, putting the stuff back. That might be how we picture Jesus. Always in heaven, making, making good our faults. Oh, he messed up again. I have to go take care of that again. Oh, this world, it can't quite get straight. And Jesus is always walking around heaven, tidying up after us. Did you know that's absolutely false? Jesus did his work and looked at it and said, it is done, it is satisfied, it is completely through. And he sat down and rested. Maybe some of you are a little like me. Even when you have a project and you finish it, all you can see are the flaws in it, and you sit there and you wonder how you're going to fix it and make it better, Maybe the next time, or even improve this version? Not so with Jesus. He looked at it and said, that's perfect. 
and now he's resting in his work. Furthermore, God is satisfied with his work. Right now, he is making Jesus, his enemies, a footstool for his feet. Look there at verse uh, 13, I believe it is. Let me just check. I'm sorry, verse, yes, verse 13. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. You definitely want to underline that verse and perhaps in pencil out to the side, write Psalm 110. This is a quote of Psalm 110 where God is talking to the Messiah. And he says, sit while I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And here, God is confirming that Jesus has done well. He has satisfied God completely. The wrath of God is quenched. His righteous demands are met. And now he's sitting, settled, and God is now working on behalf of Jesus. Jesus is satisfied with his work. God is satisfied with Jesus' work. There's nothing more that can be added to it. There's nothing more that can be done. It is complete. It is whole. It is perfect. And both God and Jesus are utterly, thoroughly satisfied in it. Next, Jesus' work has perfected his people forevermore. Look at verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are perfected. You are completed. It is done. You can't add anything to it. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is done, finished, settled in heaven for you. Past tense, it's over. All the work, all the toil, all the trouble, all the guilt, all the shame, gone in the single offering that Jesus made and completed for you for all time, forevermore. It's settled. Now, you are being sanctified. That's a process of coming into line with the calling that you possess. Nobody will deny that. I certainly wouldn't deny all the bits of my fallenness that are yet to be sanctified. But my eternal destiny, my place before God, my standing before him, is settled. It's in the past. I wasn't intending to tell this little illustration, but I will. When my wife and I were were dating, and I don't remember how long we'd been dating. I think we'd been dating uh, three or four months, maybe. I don't know if she knows this or not, but I was working really hard to impress her, okay? My mom had met her, and my mom threatened to kick me out of the family should I mess this relationship up. And she would kick me out and bring Danielle in, okay? So I'm working, I'm just trying so hard to impress this young lady. And I didn't really know how she felt. I, I wasn't, I was pretty sure, but you know, you never really know. And one day I'd gone over to her house to visit and she sat down on the couch and she sat down on the couch, she knows this story, with about this far between her and the edge of the couch, okay? And then she had like this far to the other edge of the couch. Okay, can you picture that? 
she sits with about 12 inches between herself and this cushion over here to her right. And she said, oh, Greg, come sit next to me, and took her right hand and patted the space that was about 12 inches wide. Right here, right here. And I looked at the six feet of couch that I had to sit on and the 12 inches of couch that she was directing me to, and I went, oh, she likes me. And from that moment forward, I knew. It was done. I didn't have to be insecure anymore. I didn't have to try so hard. I didn't have to work so hard. It was just a matter, from that point, of realizing in marriage the love that was already there. It's funny how little things like that communicate, huh? Well, this is what God is intending to communicate with this passage. It's done. It's settled. Now all that's left to do is realize what you have. Last, Jesus' work satisfies perpetually. Jesus' work satisfies perpetually, even when you fall, even when you mess up. Even when you fight against sin and fail and get knocked down. Even when guilt and shame from the past cloud your mind, remind you of how dirty or filthy or awful you acted. When thoughts come into your mind that horrify you, that you would have that thought. When deeds take place that you're ashamed of, post-Christianity, just know Jesus is satisfied with his work and God is satisfied with it and that is the case perpetually you didn't do anything for it and you can't do anything to destroy it it's yours I'd like to make just two brief applications number one this sort of completion demands, first and foremost, worship and reflection. Worship and reflection. Ask yourself the question, what would it mean if what Pastor Greg said today was true? What would that mean if this was true? What would that mean for my job? What would that mean for my life? What would that mean for... My relationships, what would that mean for this? What would that mean if all of this was mine already? We reflect and we worship and we praise and we rest. And really, the only thing we can say is thank you. In amazement that I have this complete work for me that I could never have done for myself. Second, God intends for this rest and security to create a settled and resolute love for God. God doesn't want you 
scurrying about, worrying whether you've met his demands today. God doesn't want you trying to earn tomorrow's blessings with today's righteous duties. God doesn't want you losing sleep over things you could have done or didn't do or how disappointed he may have been in you. What God wants is for his mercy and grace and statement of his love to secure you and stabilize you. And as he says earlier in the book of Hebrews, to be as an anchor for your soul so that when something happens to you, you don't view it as an outcome of divine severity, but as a gracious pruning to help you walk more closely with him. It anchors you. Now, friends, this is yours if you are in Christ. Some of us are not in Christ. Some of us have not accepted the sacrifice on our behalf. We're trying, we're trying to throw our works into the hole that doesn't have a bottom. And I would like to tell you that you're going to get really tired doing that. <laughs> much better way. In fact, it's the only way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Place your faith and your trust in this once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus made for you. How do you do that? Well, you just believe it. You tell the Lord that. You say, I, I trust you. I, I, I'm putting my eternal hope in that. You tell the Lord that, and he'll give it to you. He will give it to you. He will rush to you. He will help you. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, I pray that you would give us each grace to rest in the one-time completed sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. May we worship, may we be grateful, may we be thankful for all that you've given us in Christ Jesus. And for those who may not know you as Savior, I pray that they would trust in the completed work that Jesus did for them. I pray that they would make it theirs and experience a relationship with you that has no condemnation in it. But we pray all these things in Jesus' name.